Hello, and welcome to the Ducks Never Waver Lunch Break, where you get food for thought and can rejuvenate to sally forth. He's Edwin the brother. She's Megan the sister. And today we are talking about Culture Care, Part 3, The Conclusion. Yeah, I think that actually ties into where we're moving next with this discussion because, okay, great. Beauty's wonderful. Art's wonderful. Good job. You're now really good at making things and really good at making them beautiful. Problem is it took you five years to make one chair. How is somebody going to pay you for that? What what does that chair cost? Like $100,000? $200,000? I mean, it took you a long time to build and you have this great skill. How do you make art work? And then it gets like into this pragmatic thing was if and nobody likes your art then what good is it because if nobody likes it nobody's going to buy it and you're not going to be able to buy food and you're not going to be able to live answer that would you <laughs> no yeah definitely we get into the the idea of of you know is it the utilitarian and is it helpful is it useful and hopefully by now you know that we think it is helpful and useful uh, but, um, he, Fujimura writes a little bit about it. Uh, utilitarian thinking is often disguised, but it still can result in lifelong entrapment if it is allowed in. Take the example of college. Most of us have been pragmatists, seeing college as a transactional entity in which the student spends four years of time and tuition to receive back a lucrative career. Parents advise their children to major in something useful rather than the humanities, often under threat of withholding financial support. Desiring a sustainable career is noble, but such recommendations debase education and our humanity. The pragmatic goal of having a useful degree can calcify into a dogma, or worse, reaffirm an unquestioned assumption that you are only worthwhile if you are useful. And then, if you're only focused on whether people are useful, you start to debase humans. What do you do with people who aren't useful, quote-unquote? What do you do with people who aren't as capable as other people? Are they less human, then, because they provide less for the the society? Evolution would say, let them die. They're not as good as the rest. But with art, we can say no. And not just art, but with the gospel, we can say no. For the Lord picked out the weakest. Israel was the weakest. They were enslaved. We are the weakest. We were enslaved to sin. We are set free from usefulness in a strictly uh, man-centered ideal of usefulness. For what is useful to man is not necessarily useful to God. I think. And just to throw something in there, because it's, it's useful to man, it's man is ever a giddy thing. And this is my conclusion, which, which means that what's useful to one man is not going to be useful to another. So you're always going to be changing what is useful. So what if, if someone says, like, oh, I want you to be useful in the family business. 
that's not necessarily going to be useful for some other human. He's going to say, well, you should be doing this. So you have to look at what God says, not what man. That's right. And then when it comes to education about art, the, we do not provide an arts education to create more artists, but that's a byproduct. The real purpose of an arts education is to create complete, deeper human beings capable of leading successful and productive lives in a free society. That's a quote from Dana Gioia. And the whole usefulness thing puts a lot of pressure then on your identity, which we, we touched on a little bit about being an individual. But if your person only boils down to how useful you are, then you're going to lose your identity or you're at least going to struggle with it because then if that's taken away, your usefulness is taken away, then who are you? You are you are nothing. That's you're you're basing your identity on what you do and not who Jesus Christ says you are. Ultimately, if our identity is in Christ, we won't feel the need to put an adjective of existence in in front of everything we we do. Like if you are a Christian, you're you're not going to feel the need to say I make Christian music, Christian art. I'm a Christian plumber and so on because that's so engrafted in who you are like that is your identity already so you don't need to put this adjective in front of it like so I don't know like what, what do you think Edwin about the the whole putting Christian in, in front of it or whatever kind of nowadays especially it seems to become commercialized so it's just an advertising slogan for you to get a certain subset of people to buy your stuff. If I say this is now a Christian table, then that's what people are going to buy who are Christians. And that isn't necessarily a good thing. It's not a good thing because, one, we've devalued then the word Christian and, like, what it means. And, two, it means that people are not buying your stuff for the right reason, right? They're... You're not making just the best table you can make because it's glorifying to God. It's now you're making this table and slapping a label on it so that people will buy it. Yeah, and that's not to say that you you shouldn't support... Like, if you are a Christian and, and you want to support Christians, that's awesome. Like, please do that. That's not what we're saying. But it's, it's when you turn the truth that you live by into a marketing ploy that it becomes a problem that when you're using it as a as a hashtag so that you get found and that you you tap into a certain market instead of focusing on doing the best work that you can do a little bit of the the same kind of thing is i see it as how america made in america has become a bit of a marketing ploy so i think it parallels nicely at least mm -hmm. that People will say that now on their products and even sometimes say things assembled in the USA. Like all these things to use it as a marketing ploy. Well, why don't you just go and buy the best thing? And hopefully that ends up being made in America because those people crafted it the best. But if somebody in Taiwan made it better, maybe you should buy that. Go with, go with what's actually objectively better. If... If a saw doesn't cut, but it's made in America, you don't want that saw. It, that's the th thing we're driving at. 
these these things should come from the proper place in order for it to actually mean something. Another marketing ploy is being green, like being sustainable, eco-friendly or whatever, and or like with food, being organic. And those are all good things to strive for. I think when you say like, yeah, we want to clean up the, the oceans and we want to have better, you know, better products that use more sustainable options, that's all great. But you have to remember that these are not regulated terms, that these are just marketing employees, that they can just for, for do very, very little and still slap that on the label. And so you should be looking for people who are open and honest about how they make things, people who are passionate about making things the best they can, instead of just going with the easy label that they can just throw on there. Because with food, with products, yes, there is some legal accountability, but you can you can bend things pretty well. So just to fit their market. Like, that's the thing. Like, they know there's a huge market for people looking for, it's eco-friendly or things that are like, it's organic. And they, they know that market's there and they're just trying to capitalize on it instead of actually doing it the way people are asking them to. They can just sneak through there. Absolutely. And that, that just drives down to the source of what we're talking about is you need to do the right things for the right reasons without calling attention to what you're doing. Pay attention to us. <laughs> we do this podcast because we enjoy discussing these ideas, not because we expect lots of money from you folks. There is a donation button, as you have noticed, but that's not why we're doing it. In fact, we probably will never make tons of money off of this. But that's not the point, right? We're not branding this as some sort of product that is going to solve your life's issues. We're just two people talking about ideas that hopefully the ideas will spark in you. But really, we're doing it to spark inside of us these generative and creative moments in time. That's really what we're doing. It's pretty simple. We're reading a book and talking about it. And back to the book, Fujimura goes on to say, Culture Care emphasizes that God cares for the whole of creation as his own artwork and for history as God's own story lived through our fallen reality and that there is not one hair of our head or one moment of our journey that God does not pay close attention to. Culture care takes Jesus himself, who cared for people, his surroundings, and his culture as a model for us all. So then if that's true, we all have a creative responsibility. And that is what chapter 12 is about in cultivating cultural soil. What Fujimura is going to present is that even if you don't feel particularly creative, and you're not an artist yourself, we can all do something to support the artists in our community. We can all do something for the border stalkers. One of those is just acknowledging that they exist. And the reason why we can all care about this is because we are all given this gift. As Fujimura expounds, I see God as the ultimate artist and us, still bearing God's image even in our fall, as artists writ small. The Bible is a book written by the Creator God, 
spoken through God's creative, if sometimes broken, people. It is designed to recalibrate our worldview and reconnect us with God. And then a question connected to that, in the back of the book, is how have certain artifacts recalibrated our culture and nourished new seeds for our culture? I would I would say the the Dutch painters of the 1600s the the Dutch and Flemish coming out of the reformation show that everyday work and objects are worthy of painting and are beautiful. Now we take it for granted that we have still lives and landscapes, but that was definitely a, a change in in thinking that it's not always the the Greek mythology and the the grand historical or the very classical look, but that everyday apples and just everyday people are, are worthy of bringing up to, to art to, to, to make beautiful things out of it. And the reason they could do this is they were part of a social and cultural milieu that provided what they needed in order for their art to flourish. They, they were provided the soul to create. They had the social backing where people appreciated what they created. And they also had the material capital because the Dutch were wealthy at the time. And all those things coming together were what was needed to create great art. And that brings us to chapter 15, how you can support an artist. You can support artists in very simple, small ways just by acknowledging them. That's really all you need to do. But Fujimura has this theory that has, has worked for him that you need three elements to create a movement where you have creative capital, which is would be your artist or your, your, your creative person. You have a social capital, which is your church, your community, your friends. And you would also need material capital, which is your, your business type of person with the moolah. And I, I find it very interesting that he says you need at least the creative and one other to sustain. But if you have all three, you can launch into a generative movement. And anyone can start. Like you can, you can be a business type and then you, you gather your team or you can be the community or, or whatever. You don't have to just be the artist looking for the other two. You can start at any point of the, the triangle. But then how do you know if you've made it? Because you've literally made something. <laughs> I think that helps. Definitely. I think that's qualified uh, discerning what you mean by made it and what you're expecting to get out of something. So by the goals that I am setting forward, this podcast has made it. Because we literally made the podcast, and that's all we wanted. Yeah, just lower your expectations, people. <laughs> Fall else fails, lowers your, lower your expectations. He talks about the three G's of being creative, which is just recapping what we've talked about. Genesis, which means rebirth, origin moments. Every moment can be a Genesis moment, and it artist is often more attuned to this. Generosity, another word, would be sacrifice. You need to put the work in. Generational, 
it generates a soul-building atmosphere and is lasting generations. That's basically how you know you've made it. Yeah, so if you if you can take off those those three things that if you had that genesis moment, that origin, that rebirth, and if you uh, came from a sacrificial place, and if it generates a soul-building atmosphere, if it builds someone up and is something that will last, then, then you know you made it. It's not about money. It's not about people who follow you. It's, it's about those three things. Right on. And that, those three things lead you to being free as a creator that you don't have to be fearful of what other people say because the bar has not been lowered. It's been removed entirely. You've, re, you've shifted how you look at things. So you can be absolutely fearless in what you can do. You can go out there and conquer or I guess a better word than conquer is you can go out there and rule and have dominion over the earth. And a question they have here is, can culture care actually save lives? Well, it most certainly can free your life, which is a kind of saving. What, what do we mean by save a life? Like, this goes back to, well, that was the quote by T.S. Eliot. Culture is what, makes life worth living. If your life isn't worth living, you won't live it. I mean, you don't have to go as drastic as suicide. You can go as just as basic as living your life online or living your life through other people or just barely doing the minimum to just show up. Culture does save lives because it creates a life. It creates a deep, fulfilling life. So yes, in that sense it does. He uses this example of that artists are like bees, which I which I love because it's it's talking about fear again. It's like how many people are scared of bees when without bees we we couldn't live. None of the the trees, none of the the fruits and vegetables and none of the plants would be pollinated without those bees. And bees are so giving, like they, they not only pollinate, but we can harvest honey from them and, and wax. And so it's, it's funny how often we're, we're so scared of them, but there's not really a whole lot of reason to be. And oftentimes, like bees, artist types can be kind of grouchy and they'll sting you if you approach them the wrong way. Looking what what is that supposed to mean as I, I get a glance my way? <laughs> Nothing. It doesn't mean a thing. You're not you're not grouchy or I'll just have to smoke you out, I guess. <laughs> Probably part of the reason that people are scared of artists is because we gave art a capital A that we made it some sort of specialized and elitist thing. But an artist does is does not have to be an elitist. That's that's definitely a wrong attitude. It's just they have a, a different job to do than you might. But their job is important, your job is important, but it, it doesn't set them higher. It's it's not some sort of high thing. I so Yeah, you you get the rock star artists, which is not 
even the point of art. In fact, one of the points of being an artist is to be ser- a servant to others, to provide that window into the beauty of life for other people. So there should not be the artist up on the hill that everybody bows down to, but wa- rather the servant artist who finds things of beauty down below or far afield and brings that back to the community. So now let's just kind of wrap up our culture care discussion. The book has so much more in it than what we touched on. It expounds upon every little point that we made. There's more chapters than what we talked about. There's a lot more questions in the back of the book. Highly recommend you actually go and read the book. If you know us, we'll be happy to lend the book to you. And if you don't know us, if the book is not that expensive, go out and buy it. Um, you can even use that horrible um, materialistic providing service <laughs> that will get it to you in one day. And, and you know, it might even be um, the despoiling of the Egyptians or something like that. Um, what what do we have to say after reading this book? I think my biggest takeaways were the small things matter and that you can actually live out that you don't live by bread alone, that the bouquet of flowers actually matters. Those little things of beauty, looking for them, seeing them, appreciate them, actually matters. And then that you can share that with other people. And it doesn't take a whole lot. And that can grow into much bigger things. That can grow into a whole community. And ultimately, it could grow into a whole movement. And really, I think that's the great joy of reading this book. Even if you're not a struggling artist in your parents' basement trying to break out, uh, you know, and make it big, you can learn something, glean something from this book and pass on something beautiful. Definitely. That's that's a, a beautiful summation. And that uh, one thing I really appreciated from this book is that beauty and the seeking of beauty sets you apart, and that's okay. And that's, that's a good thing, that to be on the outside, you can bring so many beautiful things to light, and you can see the truth so much clearer. So hopefully we've whet your curiosity about Makoto Fujimura's book, Culture Care. And if you do read it, and I hope you do, he has some other wonderful books that maybe later on we'll we'll read, but you can go off and read your own. He has titles such as Art and Faith, Silence and Beauty, and some other books that are really wonderful. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed the Ducks Never Waver lunch break. If you would like to fill your senses with more Ducks Never Waver goodness, you can feast your eyeballs on Instagram and Facebook. Touch some of our beautiful pieces that we will ship right to your door by ordering them through Etsy. Or you can continue hearing us on this magnificent culmination of auditory recordation. Donation buckets are in the description for you to invest in the betterment of this podcast. We will work diligently to read and present interesting topics. Your hard-earned money will be joyously 
and gratefully spent to improve your lunch break. Want to keep your hard-earned money? And who doesn't? You can still support us and yourself by rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing this year's podcast with all the other ducks in your life. Stay quacky, my friends.